Well, we have uh, started a new series of messages this summer called Knowing Our Father, because we believe that what we know and believe about God will ultimately affect the way that we live. And so through this study, we want to know God's heart. And then as Christ followers, we can reflect his heart uh, in the way that we conduct ourselves in life. And so far, we've considered our God who is good and our God who is trustworthy. And this morning, we're going to consider our God who is generous. Of course, there are many places in the Bible that we could turn to to help us study and know about the generosity of God. But what we're trying to do is in this study is to ask this question. What does Jesus say about the heart of God? And so we're going to look at this parable that we just saw in the video clip a moment ago. And at first glance, this story as Jesus told it to his disciples seems rather strange. Uh, Quite improbable, actually. You might think that this was some kind of weird, eccentric employer and uh, something strange was going on. So what was happening? I don't know if you, I'm sure you're able to follow along as, uh, as Jesus told that story in the video. But the story is told that an owner of a vineyard needs some workers for his fields. So he goes out at probably like six o'clock in the morning to hire a few. He meets a few. They agree that they would work for him for the day and that he will pay them one denarius. This was a typical day's wage for a laborer. So there's so far there's nothing unusual and off to work they go. The waiting for work even wasn't that unusual. That was normal practice. There were thousands of unemployed people in and around Jerusalem at that time. And so uh, they would wait for somebody to come and hire them each day. And the pay that he offered was actually the regular day's pay. So nothing unusual so far. But as the day goes on, the vineyard owner decides that he's going to need more workers. He realizes that there's more work to do, not enough time, and so he goes and hires a few more. But this time, he doesn't specifically agree to pay them a denarius. He simply tells them that, you know, I will pay you whatever is right. Now, they're probably thinking to themselves, going, well, at least a quarter of the day is gone, so we won't get a full day's wage, but it'll be something, and it'll be better than nothing, so off they go. But imagine maybe that today. You go for a job interview and everything goes well and they say that you're hired and you've never really discussed salary and you're kind of wondering about that and you're a little nervous, but you say, well, what about pay? And your new boss simply says, well, just trust me to do whatever is right. How much confidence would you have? Well, obviously, there is even more work to do than he has workers for. And so he goes back to this market, the Bible says, at the sixth hour, which is probably around noon, And again at the ninth hour, which is now three in the afternoon, and he hires even more workers. And guess what happens? This is where it starts to get a little strange, because he goes back a fifth time in that same day, five o'clock in the afternoon, at the eleventh hour, an hour before the usual quitting time. This time... He engages those standing around there in the market and he asks them an obvious question that seems to have an obvious answer. Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Just hanging out with friends. You saw the answer. Well, because no one hired us. If somebody hired us, we wouldn't be standing here anymore. And so what does he do? At the 11th hour, he hires a few more and so off to work they go probably only expecting now to get a small portion of a normal day's wages. But again, 
better than nothing. So an hour later, quitting time rolls around and a strange thing starts to happen. The owner of the vineyard gives directions to his foreman to have the workers come and receive their day's pay. But he, he starts with those that he hired last. And he gives directions to his foreman to pay them. And what does he pay them? A full denarius. Now you see what's going on, can't you? You would think that those that only worked one hour would probably expect to just get a small portion of the day's wage. But surprise, surprise, they get a whole denarius. A normal day's wage for an hour of work. They must have been smiling when they saw that. Now let's say you and I were one of those people that he hired earlier. The owner, remember, he promised that he would pay them whatever is right. And so what are you thinking as he pays this last group? I don't think that you could help but expect that, well, maybe I'm actually going to get paid more now. I mean, if they got a denarius for a dollar, and, or sorry, for an hour, and, and I've worked six hours, then maybe I'll get, maybe I'll get six denarius. And you're like smiling, you're thinking, this is, this is great. But you don't get more. You get exactly what they got. One denarius. Now, it's still pretty generous because in reality, you still haven't worked a whole day either. But you probably can't help feeling just a little bit ripped off. Maybe like you've been taken a bit of advantage of. Well, if I had known that... Maybe I would have hung out in the market a little longer and got hired at 5 o'clock myself, if that's what they're going to get paid. And finally, the last group comes up to get paid. Having seen what has happened this far, they're probably pretty confused. They're thinking, I've worked the full day here, and I expect more, but are probably resigned to the fact that they too will receive only one denarius. Now, obviously this system of pay was particularly difficult for the first group, and so they did what we as human beings would probably do in a situation like that, start to grumble and complain. You've probably heard this before. Mom, Susie isn't helping me clear the table. Dad, I've been out here picking weeds all day. Where is my brother? Where's my sister? How come nobody's helping me? They only worked one hour, the Bible says, that they said. They said this to the owner. You can imagine them getting into this little, little bit of a frustrating moment. We carried the bulk of the work. We worked through the heat of the day. And you paid them an equal amount. It's not fair. But listen to Jesus' response again, beginning in verse 13. But he answered them, Friend, so you hear how gentle he would be? I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Yeah, they did. So take your pay and go. I Listen to these words. Because this starts to reflect the Father's heart, his generous heart. He says, I, because it was his prerogative. He's the owner. He says, I want to give the man 
who hired last, who was hired last, the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? And then he asks this question, or are you envious because I am generous? There must have been a long silence after that because Jesus powerfully drives home the point of this parable. God is a generous God. And sometimes we may even struggle when we think his generosity is unfair. But really, is God unfair? So let's think about some of the lessons that we can learn about God's generosity from this parable. And the first I want to say is this, is that God's generosity is not limited to material things. Okay? God's generosity is not limited to material things, or physical things for that matter. But that is so often where we drift to when we think of generosity. How has he blessed me financially? And, and too often we tend to compare ourselves to others. Maybe we even compare ourselves to the way we look or our finances or the relationships we have or the cars we drive or the homes we live in. And we start to think, you know, if only I had her looks or his looks or her brains or his brains or her spouse or his spouse, if only. And it starts to breed a little bit of discontentment. And if our view of life is only limited to these material, physical, even relational things, then yeah, we may come to a place where we conclude that God may be unfair. But the truth is that God has given every one of us so much, and so much more than material things. Consider for a moment what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Just listen to these words and, 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 and see how they describe this generosity of God, His lavish love, and all of the things that He does when He writes, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. It's like the old song says, you know, take the whole world, but give me Jesus. That's far more valuable. Even before he made the world, Paul goes on to say, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us <clears throat> into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Do you see that image? He just poured out his love, this generous, lavish love and his grace. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. 
And it goes on for a few more verses. But what Paul's getting at, these are all spiritual blessings that he has given to every Christian. And no material blessings can ever compare to that. We have indeed been given much. More than we ever expected. And we need to be so careful not to fall into the trap that the first laborers did. The ones that were hired first. You see, they failed to be thankful even for what they got, their own wage. Because suddenly, even though they agreed to that at the very beginning, which they thought, okay, that's right, that's normal. But they were blinded by their own self-interest and ultimately lack compassion for their fellow workers. You know, as I say that, I, I, I imagine maybe that scene unfolded a little bit differently. And we have to, you know, kind of use our imaginations a little bit. But when there's all these workers around and the owner came, I'm sure some guys wanted to work. They needed to work. Their, their survival depended on it. And when they didn't get picked and somebody, they went off and worked, and then another and another, I'm sure there's a few guys left there going, oh, man. And the guys that got hired might have went back, ah, sucks to be you, you know. Like, what was it that? Might have. And then later on, when they got the same amount, they were really kind of ticked off. And God says, are you envious? Because I'm generous? So God's generosity is not limited to material things. Because we have been given so many spiritual blessings, almost too numerous to count. Second lesson we can learn from this parable is that God's generosity is motivated by love. Like all things, we sort of always sort of drift back to the love of God. But why did the owner of the vineyard pay the same amount to all of the workers? I think the answer is pretty simple, actually. Because they needed it. There was widespread unemployment in those days. Those guys weren't just hanging around, being lazy, passing the time, not wanting to work. They gathered in the marketplace hoping that someone would hire them for that day to do manual labor so that they could put food on the tables for their families. And I really don't think the owner hired them to to try to squeeze as much out of them as he could He wasn't thinking about profit and margins. If he had been, he would have cut their wages and made it proportional. But he was thinking about people. He was thinking about their need. These were men who were hoping to provide for their families. They needed a day's wage to survive. And they were desperate enough to continue waiting late into the day for work. And the owner knew that. And so he demonstrated his heart of kindness and goodness and generosity. And friends, as Jesus is telling this story, he's revealing to all of us the heart of God. He loves you. And he loves to be generous with you. But if we only and always look for material blessings, that we will then miss seeing and benefiting from his spiritual blessings. And more importantly, I believe, we'll miss understanding the motivation for the generosity. You know, as I thought about what motivates generosity, it reminded me of my dad. I kind of wish he was here this morning, and I was supposed to speak this last week on Father's Day, but... 
things changed and that's all right. That's the way God does it sometimes. But I think my dad, excuse me, is one of the most generous people I know. And I realize that I'm switching back to material blessings here. And I hope I'm not confusing the issue. But as I think about the motivation for generosity, namely love, I know that that's what motivates my dad's generosity. My dad immigrated to Canada from Germany in the late 1940s. He worked on a farm to pay back what it cost to come to Canada in the first place. Then he worked in construction and then finally running his own company building houses. He worked long hours and often would work right through uh, the supper hour. And as a kid, I still vividly remember mom, after we finished packing up a, 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 you know, a bag of, of, of food for, that was left over, and, and, uh, and we'd go out to the job site, and, and dad would eat, and we'd run around and pound nails into boards and all those kind of things that we did. But you know, as a young child, we didn't have fancy cars or many toys. But I can't ever really remember going without the interesting thing is, is now later in life, probably for the last, oh, 20 years or more that I can remember, and it's probably well before that, whenever we go out to eat, an interesting thing happens. Dad always pays. It's, it's not even a, you know, it's not even like we sort of assume, like, it, it, it's a weird thing because we've all come, become kind of accustomed to it. And we can be out with 20 people or, or there's 22 people in my family here in Edmonton. And sometimes we'll all go out and, you know, we don't even bother digging for our wallets and pitching it because, well, dad does it, you know, that, that's just the way it is. And, 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 and so if you ever take me out for dinner, you might just see me with my hands in my pockets because that's kind of what I'm accustomed to. But, but really, you know, it was always a little bit awkward. You know, I'd invite friends. Hey, come for dinner. My dad's buying. You know, and, and so we would go and, and they would feel a little awkward going like, really? Like, he's paying, picking up the bill? Like, again? Yeah, that's kind of what he, he does. It's pretty much a, a given. And it would always feel a little bit awkward. But I don't think I've ever seen anyone pay a restaurant tab when my dad's around. Actually, there was one time. It was when Tina's mom and dad were visiting us, and we went out with my mom and dad for dinner. And Tina's dad knew this about my dad. And so he was going to kind of sh- short-circuit this, and he went to the washroom and caught the waitress, paid the bill, came back to the table, and we are sitting there. And then finally my dad asked for the bill, and she's like, oh, it's paid for. He's like, just this confused look, and then kind of an upset, angry look. Like, what are you doing? This is what I do. they have helped five children buy their first homes. And it's not too often that I leave their place without dad pulling out his wallet and handing me some cash saying, here, you can probably use this. And you know, I could go on and on, but my point is this. My dad's generosity is not motivated by a sense of obligation. It's not something he has to do. But it's motivated out of a love for his children and his friends. He cares and he wants to help and he's able to do it. And in being generous, he reflects God's generous heart. And thirdly, God's generosity is undeserved. Ever think about that? 
It's undeserved. You see, in the parable that Jesus told, again, every worker got paid the same amount. You could argue that those that came later in the day, you know, they really didn't earn a full day's pay, nor did they deserve it. But they still all received one denarius. You see, God's generosity is, is more abundant than anyone would expect. And all the labors, except for the very first, got more than they deserved. Getting something you don't deserve is simply called grace. Right? And in God's economy, it's not something that you can earn. He offers it freely to everyone. And that's why it's called grace. You see, we need to be so careful because it's easy to think that if we do the right things, then God will somehow owe us. And sometimes, if we're honest, we may even start to think, you know, if we start early in the morning and we serve God all day long and we never do anything to upset Him, then at the end of the day, God will really reward us. Maybe He'll really answer that prayer if I just stay on my best behavior through the day. But we don't earn God's favor by doing things for God. God doesn't keep, you know, a big spreadsheet keeping track of all of the hours that we've served Him. And we certainly don't serve for pay. We serve God and others because we love God. Not because we expect Him to do for us or bless us more in return. We trust Him who, like the workers who came later, to do whatever is right. His generosity is undeserved and His grace is for everyone. His generous love, His acceptance, His forgiveness, they're all freely and generously given because that is His heart. You can never earn this, nor do we ever deserve it. You see, the major story of the Bible is grace. Undeserved and unearned love. Ah, that we would grasp the richness of that spiritual blessing. You see, what we think and know about God really matters. James Bryan Smith writes in The Good and Beautiful God, The most important thing about a person is what they think about God. Our thoughts about God will determine not only who we are, but how we live. What we think about God, what we think God is like, will determine the relationship we have with God. And so this morning, I'm going to resist the temptation to give us, you know, three easy points of application. I don't want to give us more to do. But I do want us to know the heart of God. And if we know Him to be generous, then slowly but surely, I believe that we will see His generous heart reflected in our actions. That generosity can become part of our character as well. But what I would like to suggest then, and this is um, from James Bryan Smith, is that we would do something that maybe we haven't done for a while, and maybe you have and I just haven't, but that we would learn and recite Psalm 23 this week. You can find it in whatever translation you might have. 
But this is a well-known psalm, a beautiful expression of the kingdom of God in which God is with us and for us and caring and providing for us and blessing us even in trying circumstances. The God of Psalm 23 is generous. Because of God's gracious provision, His protection, His care, we lack absolutely nothing. God invites us to to, to rest. That's a blessing. That's a gift, a generous gift from God that says, you know what, everyone? Take the day off. Relax. Rest. To be refreshed. To be restored. God leads and guides us even in our most painful situations. And God is with us. We can live without fear. God even prepares a table for us in the presence of those who would harm us. God not only provides what we need, He gives us more than we need because our cup is overflowing. And when we walk with God as our shepherd, we see our entire life, even our trials and our suffering, as goodness and mercy. On Friday at Pastor Ken's mom's funeral, we heard that even at 98 years of age and with Alzheimer's, Coral MacDonald would be able to recite most of this psalm. And I believe that if we learn and recite this psalm before we fall asleep, and again when we wake in the morning, as we meditate on each word, as we let these images wash over our minds and embed this truth about an exceedingly generous God, we will begin to be shaped by these very words. So in closing this morning, I'd like you just to close your eyes and open your ears and just listen to this psalm. Try hard, because many of you probably do know it from memory, but try to listen like maybe it's the first time you've ever heard it. And let these images fill your heart and your mind. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows Surely goodness and mercy 
shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.